Exodus 32, 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Verse 21. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. The word of the Lord. You guys hear me? Good morning. My name is Corey Johnston. I am actually your church planting resident. And so what that means is that um, over the last year, my team and I have been here um, just learning, being equipped to plant a church or start a church is what that means with the expectation um, of starting a church in Collinsville at the um, beginning of next year, early 2014. And so it's an honor for us to be here. We love Trailhead, we love serving here with you all and, and the leadership, and um, it's great to be here. If you don't mind, I just want to pray before we get started, and then uh, we'll kick this thing off. God, we just love you and praise you and give you just all the glory, God. We thank you so much for calling us here as a people to be able to share in your word together, Lord, to be able to gather here as family and, and just learn from you. God, we give you all the praise. Amen. All right, in preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but think of um, <clears throat> this story of Andrea, my wife and I, going to, we were asked to go be counselors at a church camp. And if you know me, I'm a little absent-minded. And so in packing, I actually forgot to pack blanket and pillows for a whole week-long church camp um, in cabins, like out in the boonies, and I forgot. And so Andrea's mom, my ma-in-law, as I like to call her, she's quite the opposite of me. And she is the lady that she'll pack extra blanket and pillows for the kids that forget theirs. And while I wasn't a kid, I had to (laughs) steal some poor defenseless kids' blanket and pillows for the night. And so she gives them to me, and um, and I go to sleep with them. It's great. I wake up, though, and my eyes are completely swollen shut. I have, like, sandpaper in my throat, and my skin is itching. It's miserable, okay? And, and I, I walk out, and Andrea sees me, and she's just like, oh, my gosh, you know? And, and I'm like, what? And she's like, the, the pillow and blankets. And I'm like, what about them? And she's like, they're from the basement. And I'm like, okay. She's like, there's a cat in the basement. And I'm like, oh, miserable. I'm highly allergic to cats. And, and so I'm all swollen. I'm all messed up. And, and really, just in that moment, I'm supposed to be a counselor. I'm supposed to be one of the leaders. I've already forgotten pillow and blankets. My week has started off miserable. I just felt just completely 
insufficient in that moment. I'd made a bad decision. I, 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 was, I felt just completely insufficient um, as I was supposed to be a leader. Have any guys, anybody there with me, just feel like you made maybe just a bad decision? You felt, and it just kind of defeats you, right? It makes you feel completely just insufficient. Well, I have good news. Um, God uses your insufficiency to actually lead you to crave his sufficiency. And that's exactly what we're going to see today when we're talking about Aaron, is that God will constantly use your sin, your shortcomings, your bad decisions to lead you to crave his very sufficiency because it it leads you to realize that he's the only strength that you really have. He's the only thing that you have to rely on. And that's where we're going today whenever we talk about Aaron, Moses' brother, is in our insufficiency, God prepares us to crave his sufficiency. And so I recognize, too, that some of you are here and you maybe um, don't follow Christ, you're not a believer, you're potentially just agnostic, not exactly sure what to believe, or atheist, and you don't believe in God at all. And so I just want to preface the the whole sermon with, we're going to be talking a bit about the Old Testament. And some of the things that we talk about could come off and and sound a bit crazy. And so my goal for you today is just to to help kind of explain away the crazy and bring a bit of clarity to that and show how everything in the Old Testament all points us to Jesus. So when I start off, we're going to look at how God is preparing Aaron to be the great high Levitical priest, and then we're going to move into how God uses Aaron to prepare the whole nation of Israel for the coming Messiah. Okay, everyone talks about Moses, um, but not many people talk about Aaron. So Aaron is Moses' brother, and he's a Levite. He's from the, the, the Levite tribe, and that's where we get this term, like high Levitical priest, because as we see in the Old Testament, that all of the priests, they all derive from this Levite tribe, from Aaron's lineage or Aaron's genealogy. And so Aaron first comes on the scene in Exodus four fourteen through 16. I'll throw it up on the overhead for you. It says this, but he, that's actually Moses, says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And so we see that Moses has been called. Let me give you a little context here. Moses has been called to go speak to the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who has all the Israelites in slavery. Over two million people are in slavery. King Pharaoh is the reason for that. And God calls Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go to the people and talk to them. And we see here that Moses is, we see immediately just his insufficiency, his lack of faith in God. And he says, please, like, why me? I'm I'm unworthy, is actually what he says, to even go do this. And we see God responds in his sufficiency and strength. And he says, well, what about your brother Aaron, right? I know that he's a good speaker. He will go speak for you. He will be your mouth to the people. He says, you'll be like God to him. That doesn't mean that Moses is Aaron's God. It just means that as God would normally speak to Moses, then Moses would go talk to the people. God's going to now speak to Moses and Aaron, and Aaron is going to go be the mouth to the people. That's what we see going on here in scripture. It's kind of like the the telephone game. You all remember that from when you were a little kid, maybe kindergarten. It'd probably be a little creepy to play right now, you know, but like, you whisper something to someone's ear, then they whisper it to someone else, and it goes just around the room. And then that last person, what's their job? 
Their job is to get up and speak on behalf of the group and talk to the people, right? We could do it, but it could get a little awkward, so we're not going to. But you get what I'm saying. And, and even furthermore, as someone whispers something to you and then you say it to the next person, you're actually being that person's mediator, that person's mouth to the next person. And that's what we see going on here in Scripture. God's called Moses to go speak to the people. And Moses is a bit, maybe he's got a little stage fright. Maybe he's terrified of public speaking. Like if I were to ask some of you to get up here, what would happen? Like your palms immediately start sweating, your face beat red, cotton mouth, all that. That's what we see going on here in this Scripture. But that's what God had chose Aaron to do. He chose Aaron to do all of that. And it's Aaron in, in the midst of all these scriptures that actually spends a great deal of time um, talking to the Pharaoh and administering a lot of the miracles and plagues that took place to, to convince the Pharaoh to let the people go. And so often when we read children's books, it's Moses that gets all the credit, but it's actually Aaron that like throws the staff on the ground, it turns into a snake, and it's Aaron that turns all of the water of Egypt into blood, the, all the water in the rivers and the pots and the soil, and it's Aaron that administers a great deal of plagues and miracles to try and convince this Pharaoh. But Aaron goes radically unnoticed in a lot of the stories, but he is a key, key element to all this. And so Aaron and Moses, they go and they talk to the Pharaoh, and they finally convince him, and then the Israelites are fleeing Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. We talked a bit about this last week. They finally make it out into the wilderness, and then the people start grumbling. The people are like, we need food. We, at least when we were in slavery, we worked 22 hours a day, but at least we got some food. You're not feeding us out here in the desert, and the people are grumbling. And then Moses says to Aaron, he says, go say to the whole congregation of people, that to look at their face, that look the, to look upon God's glory. And it's Aaron that goes and speaks to the people. And as soon as he speaks, God's glory is revealed, and it starts raining bread or manna from heaven. It's Aaron that's being constantly prepared to be this great high priest. It's Aaron that's being prepared to be the mediator in the mouth from God to the people and from the people to God. And so I share all this because that's exactly what I want you to get just out of this first bit of scripture is that Aaron is never sufficient for this job. He's just a man. Him and Moses are just man, men that put their faith in God. They're radically insufficient for the, God, for the calling that God has given them. But in God's grace and sufficiency, in God's strength, he actually empowers them in their weaknesses to, to help eradicate slavery for over two million Israelites at this time. And they're completely insufficient outside of God's strength. Five years ago, I felt a calling to be a youth pastor. And um, I remember talking with my wife, Andrea, and uh, <clears throat> I remember we're sitting there and we're processing through, and I'm like, how could I be a youth pastor? Well, I don't even like kids. Like, why would I do youth ministry? And I would really like to make some money. And from what I know about youth pastors, like, they don't make any money. And it's like, we're just talking, and I'm super selfish, and... I'm like, you know, I don't, I don't know kids' games. I definitely don't play guitar. I mean, every youth pastor plays guitar, right? And I don't have a plethora of, like, flannel T-shirts. Now I do, because I've been a youth pastor, you know, <laughs> but I didn't prior to that. And, um, and I'm just sitting there talking, and I'm like, man, what, how can I do this? And I remember my exact words, just looking back on that, was this. And I told her, I said, Andrew, I really feel like God was on lunch while I was on the assembly line. So I, just, I really feel like God just took a break whenever 
I was being put together. I have no good gifts. Uh, I remember just thinking back on that. Like, I felt so defeated in that moment. Just radically insufficient. And so Andrew starts processing through this as a good wife with me. And she's like, yeah, you, you don't have flannels and you, you can't play guitar, but what about your childhood? And we started thinking through that and, uh, and just looking at it. Um, like, I grew up in a home full of drug abuse and mental abuse, physical abuse. I was raised half my life with my grandparents. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, I had five different stepfathers growing up. I can name three of them. Like, I just don't know them. And, um, and we started talking through that. And I started realizing that is, is God's been preparing me in my insufficiency and in my shortcomings and my sin this whole time to do his work, to do his for his glory, to share the gospel with these kids, because it's kids that grow up in, in homes full of drugs. It's kids that are raised by their grandparents. It's kids that have multiple stepdads and stepmoms and struggle with divorce. And I see in that moment that it's, it's in my insufficiency that God is actually calling me to rely on his strength instead of my own. That's exactly what we see here in Aaron. In the same way, Aaron's just walking along, right? And God plucks him out and says, you're going to go do some good. I'm going to use you in my strength to bring you to do some good. And some of you come in the same way, right? Just completely defeated. Like even in here, sitting in the room, you come in and you think, you know, I've made bad decisions and I've missed God's will for my life and how could he ever use me? I've, I do all these things wrong. I just have a, a checklist of wrongs. He can't use me. I'm not good enough. But if he can use Aaron, he can use... Me, you can use so many other people we see in Scripture to bring about God's glory. Of course he can use you to do that. You are completely insufficient for it. But it's in God's grace and the gospel that he gives you the strength and the sufficiency to do his good work every day. And what happens when we actually buy that lie that I'm not good enough, I've made bad decisions, we actually begin to put our faith in ourselves and our own performance instead of Jesus' performance in our place as our substitute. <clears throat> and what I want you to see is that God has been preparing you for a greater work your whole life. And he actually wants to use all those shortcomings, all those bad decisions, all those insufficiencies to raise you up, to do a good work, relying on his strength and not your own. This is all we see all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the, the whole life and story of Aaron. And as we move into um, talking about who, how God uses Aaron to prepare Israel, we're going to see it to an even greater extent. And so, um, if you look in your Bibles, hopefully you kept them out, in Exodus 32, that's the scripture we just read. I'm going to reference it a few times. We're going to kind of walk through this Exodus 32 scripture, this passage, um, and we're going to talk through it. It says, When the people saw that Moses delayed, put your finger on delayed, to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And so what we see is the Israelites have made it out of the wilderness. Right? The, the Israelites, they actually come, just as we talked about last week. This is the same story from a different perspective. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. It's crazy. There's like thunder and lightning. They've heard God's voice. They've seen miracle after miracle and plague after plague. They spent years in the desert with Moses just seeing crazy things take place. And they come and they're at the bottom of Mount Sinai. 
And they come to Aaron and they're grumbling. Just like they grumbled in Exodus earlier, in Exodus 16, where they needed food. They come to Aaron grumbling. And Aaron, he should be used to this, right? This is something that happened regularly when they were out in the wilderness. And they come and they say, get up, right? Make us a God that can go before us. This, this Moses, he's delayed to come down the mountain. We spent all this time with him. We've seen God work and move through him. But he's delayed. He's taken 40 whole days. And we're getting a little anxious. And you see in their depravity that they, they're already wanting to rely on themselves. They're already, already wanting to rely on their own performance and their own ability to create a false god. And as we move into verse 2, that's what we see. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in, that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it, put your finger on that, with a graving tool and made a golden calf. This is Aaron, who has been prepared, like we saw earlier, this whole time to be the great high priest. He has this perfect opportunity to be the mouth of God, the mediator, the intercessor from God to the people. And what does he do? He caves under pressure. All these people come around and say, get up. Moses isn't good enough. We need something else. We need something more. And he fails in this opportunity because of his own weakness. He caves to the Israelites. And not only does he make them a false god, but he fashions it. He takes time and he builds this false god. He builds this little golden calf that we're going to read about. And he does diligence in doing it. Instead of stepping up in his role that God has prepared him for and relying on God's strength, he says, all right, give me what you got. Give me the gold, right? I want to fashion this for you. I want to make it. Let's keep reading verse 4. And then they said, that's the Israelites, verse 4, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, look at this, he builds an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. And so we see that Aaron has this great opportunity. The people come and say, Aaron, make us a God that can go before us. Make us a God that we can follow. As for this Moses, he's delayed. We don't know what has become of him, Right? And and just listen to their depravity. Listen to their brokenness. They say, make us a God that can go before us. So what we want you to do, right? This is money right here. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to make us a golden stationary calf that will sit on an altar and literally do nothing. That's the God that we want to follow. That God is clearly more sufficient than everything that we've seen here at Mount Sinai, than all the plagues, all the miracles, everything that you and Moses have done. By God's strength, we want this golden stationary calf. Do you, do, you hear, do you see this with me? This golden stationary calf that is completely insufficient, that's what we want to follow. Because we want to come in our own performance. We want to be our own God. We want to steal God's glory. And we want to make a God that is sufficient for us, that we have control over. And Aaron responds. He's like, give me all you got, Right? Steal the gold from your wives and your sons and your daughters and give it all to me. Give me everything you have. And he fashions it. He builds an altar. And then he makes the sacrifice to it. And then he says, not only that, but I'm going to throw you a party. We're going to celebrate. Right? It's going to be like Mardi Gras down here at the bottom of Mount Sinai. It's going to get crazy. He throws this huge party for them. 
just because he's working and, and ministering in his weakness. And God is red hot, man. He's ready to destroy all of Israel if we were to keep reading. And, and Moses actually does Aaron's job. He intercedes for the people to God. And Moses comes down. And as they're coming down, <clears throat> Moses says, um, actually not Moses, one of Moses' partners says, man, it sounds like battle cries of war. Remember this from last week? It sounds like battle cries of war. And what it was, was the people were actually shouting in victory because of what they had just done. They're completely depraved, completely broken, insufficient people. And if you look at verse 21, I just want you to hear the, just the, the devastation of Moses' voice, because Moses knows, he knows what's about to happen. Verse 21, it says, What did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? What did this people do to you? And so Moses knows in Old Testament law that if you get caught worshiping a false god, you're to be put to death. And there's 3,000 people that come together to worship this false god. And Moses is just erect because as a leader, Moses has to make a decision. He knows what's coming. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of the Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil, right? It wasn't me, Aaron. I didn't do anything. I didn't fashion it. I didn't put it on an altar. I didn't sacrifice to it. And I definitely didn't throw that party, right? Just like some kid talking to their parents. You know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, as for the man that delayed, we do not know what has become of him. And then listen to the comic relief here. So I said to them, let any of you have gold, take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Like an easy bake oven. It's like he put like a, a gumball, a twist tie, and some Barbie doll hair in there and threw it in, and out comes this rudimentary looking muffin. Like, <laughs> do you hear that? I just threw it in the fire, bro. Out came this calf. Poof. Abracadabra. And so Moses knows, like, he knows that the people are going to have to pay, that their actions have consequences. And he, he knows what's coming. And God has, God literally has full right in this moment to, to kill all these individuals, but he doesn't because Moses has actually had to do Aaron's job and intercedes for the people to God. But Moses comes down and, and he sees the people's insufficiency. He sees their, just their lack of faith and he has to make a decision. And he does. And he calls together all the Levites. And he calls together all of Aaron's family. And he says, I want you to run to and fro and kill everyone involved. And there's 3,000 people that are massacred that day because of their decision. And Moses knows that this is a day that people are going to remember. This is a day that the whole Israelite nation, they're going to remember this forever. You see, Aaron was never called to be the leader. He was called to lead, to be led by Moses and God and, and to lead out of that, but never called to be the leader. He was called to be the great high priest. He's called to be the mouth or mediator, intercessor, to the people on behalf of God and Moses. And when Aaron is presented with this opportunity to lead, in his weakness and in his sin, he fails to put faith in God. And in doing so, he, he leads the people to break the very commandments that Moses is receiving. If you remember from last week, we saw Moses come down the mountain, and he's so torn by what's going on. He's so torn by the celebration, he actually breaks the Ten Commandments. He drops them and breaks them. It's just a beautiful symbol for Israel breaking the very commandments that Moses is receiving. 
right? And, and so Aaron, in his weakness, in his insufficiency, right, he fails to rely on God's sufficiency. And we see that it's just chaos that takes place. And how often do we make the same mistakes? Maybe not with the same consequences or repercussions. But how often do we come to a situation and we feel pressure? We, need, we have a deadline to meet. We have people that are relying on us. We have decisions that have to be made. Or it could be something like class schedules. A class schedules that have to be submitted by a certain deadline. And so I have to pick this or that class. And I don't want to take this elective. I'd rather take this. And, but I have to submit it. And, and things don't work out the way we want. Or maybe it's buy a home. Don't buy a home. Potentially you're engaged. Let's get married. Maybe we shouldn't. Let's not get married. Do we have a baby? Don't have a baby. Well, we're pregnant, but there's complications. So do we have a baby or do we not have a baby? There's always decisions that have to be made in our lives. And you're married. Do we stay married? Do we not? Right? We're flirting with the idea of divorce. Is there, you know what I'm saying? There's always decisions that have to be made. And, and in our weakness, we tend to make those decisions instead of allowing God to use those moments to lead us to crave his very sufficiency. Instead of getting alone and, and praying or praying with that spouse that you're not connecting with or going to God's word and just reading and taking time out of your life to say, what would you have me do? Or seeking out community. We have community groups. We come together as family and have people just, just have people listen to you. And you share your life and share your heart with them and say, I need help. I need you to be my strength in this moment. Because I'm very weak. That's what the body of Christ is for. To bring us together, to help us in our weaknesses. And God uses our insufficiencies to lead us to him. Because when we go and pray and read, we see that he's the only strength that we have. As we make those decisions in our weakness, it just leads to more and more and more chaos in our lives. And we can never catch up, right? We're, sometimes we just feel like we're just running, like on a hamster wheel. Or running on a treadmill, and we're just going and going and going. It's deadline after deadline after deadline, and thing after thing after thing, and event and event, and birthday parties, and we just don't know how to slow down. And we're literally suffocating in our own weaknesses instead of being moved and just relying on the strength that comes from God and the gospel. Everything we see, everything I'm talking about, takes place to prepare the hearts of Israel for the coming Messiah. So, we see Aaron's radical insufficiency, right? But God still chose him to be holy. God keeps him the great high priest of Israel. We see Israel just failing time after time again to uphold the Ten Commandments. And this, this happens just so that they would lead and long for the coming Messiah in their life. And so let me just talk a little bit about that. Last week we addressed the Ten Commandments, and, and Steve nailed it. Steve's our pastor if you're new here today. And so Steve nails it, and he says the Ten Commandments are the Mosaic Law. He said that it was actually made to, to give us clarity um, to how broken we are, which would in turn lead us to despair and show us that we, in our own strength, can never uphold the Ten Commandments, leads us to despair, which would in turn lead us to hope, lead us to hope in God's strength and God's performance and not our own. And so we see the Ten Commandments would have been a constant reminder to the Israelites of their desperate need for God's sufficiency in their life because they constantly would have, could not uphold them. We read them last week. They're ten simple rules that are impossible to follow. And that's the whole point, is to lead us to hope in God. And every time that an Israelite would have broken a Ten Commandment, they would have had to go see Aaron, who's a Levite 
priest, in every interaction they had with Aaron the priest, or any priest after Aaron, they would have been constantly reminded of this massacre that took place. This 3,000 people that died because of their own insufficiency, their own want to steal God's glory and make their own. So every time an Israelite stepped up to the altar, they would have saw Aaron the Levite, and that would have took them back to that place. Just like we remember some very serious events in our life, they would remember the same thing. And then when they go see Aaron, they would actually have to make a sacrifice, right? They have to make an animal sacrifice, just again, just constantly reminding them of their need to be redeemed and their desperate need for God's strength in their life, reminding their own sin, their own depravity, their own insufficiency. Every time they broke one of these commandments, they had to do a sacrifice, every single time reminded of guilt and shame and their inability to uphold the very law that God had given them, their need for God's strength in their life. I hope that you see this. Not only would they have to make a sacrifice, but Aaron would have to sacrifice on his own behalf because he's a broken, sinful man, as we just saw. He has to make a sacrifice before he can ever start sacrificing for other people, constantly reminding him of his own guilt and need for God's strength and sufficiency in his life. And when sacrifices took place, I just want to share this. This isn't something they did like every once in a blue moon. Like this was every second of every minute of every hour, every day, week, month, every festival change, every year, every season change. They had to make these sacrifices and go see the high priest. This is every single day. Everywhere the Israelites looked, a constant reminder of their own shame and guilt. All of their senses and their whole body would have been encompassed because, by these sacrifices. What I mean by that is that the gutters in the city, like they would have been ridden with old animal blood and new, fresh animal blood. Everywhere they walked in their sandals, they're stepping over this stuff. The smoke from the altar, they would have smelled the smells of burnt animal flesh every single day. Everywhere they went, around every single corner, a constant reminder of their guilt and shame and their need for God's strength in their life. It didn't happen just on the occasion. It happened every single day. Could you imagine if every single place you looked, everywhere you hung out and spent time, there was a constant reminder of your own guilt and shame? How miserable of a life would that be? And God uses all of this to show them that they need to stop relying on their own insufficiencies, their own shortcomings, and long and hope for the strength that comes from God. And Jesus is all throughout this text. Clearly, all throughout this text. So I'm going to point you to Jesus. We're going to do some application, and then I'll wrap it up. Paul's a man in, uh, Paul, an actual man in history, who wrote about 75% of the New Testament. Um, he spent a great deal of his time persecuting Christians. Uh, he killed thousands of Christians, men, women, children. He thought that he, if, if, if the Jews couldn't uphold the law and, and save themselves, that he would actually save like the Jewish law by killing so many people. Completely broken man. Um, Paul has an interaction with Jesus, um, changes his life. He is like the sole change agent for Christianity. He leads hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. He writes 75% of the New Testament, and he's just a, a changed man. And in this letter to, to Timothy, if you look at the overhead, he says this to his, to his friend Timothy. He says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper, t- at the proper time. He says, There's one God and one mediator, right? His name is Jesus. And he freely ransomed, he freely gave himself 
up for all of mankind, for all of creation. So what Paul's saying is that Jesus perfectly fulfills the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled those Ten Commandments we talked about last week and briefly talked about this week. Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of the old Levitical laws, like all 300 and something laws that are in there. He perfectly fulfilled all of those. And in doing so, it allowed him to be the perfect sacrifice in our place for sin. Not like the sins just of people, but for the sin of the whole world, all of creation, all together. Because he perfectly fulfills this, he is the perfect sacrifice. Jesus has no need to make a sacrifice on behalf of himself like Aaron did at the altar because he is the perfect atoning sacrifice to eradicate sin and defeat sin. And after showing that he lived the perfect life, right, he goes to the cross, he dies in our place, he is buried, and then he raises from the dead to show his defeat over sin, his defeat over death. And he now is what's called the theological term session. He now is seated. He raises up into heaven and he's seated next to the Father. And we read, Paul also says that, that sorry, Paul says that Jesus is this, there's one God, one mediator, and it's Jesus. That means that Jesus, because of his perfect life, death, burial, resurrection, he's seated next to God the Father, interceding on our behalf as the new great high priest. Where Aaron could not perfectly fulfill the law, Jesus has come and perfectly fulfilled the law, the whole Mosaic law. And now he's our our intercessor, our mediator, our mouth. And so whenever it comes to our shortcomings or our sin, our lack of performance, when we start beating ourselves up like, I didn't read enough this week or pray enough or I'm checking these boxes that I missed church, I'm going to beat myself up about it. I didn't go to community group. I'm going to beat myself up about, about it. Jesus is standing there saying, why are you looking at them? Look at me. I'm the perfect sacrifice. He's interceding. God, don't worry about them and their shortcomings. Look at me and look at my life. I'm perfect in their place. I'm their substitute. Whenever you look at them, look at me first. Right? And when he does that, he sees perfection. And so whenever God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees your brokenness for those that are in Christ, but he sees Jesus' perfection in your place. So you don't have to beat yourself up anymore. How liberating is that to know that we have a great high priest, a mediator, who steps into our place and says, don't worry about what they do, but look at me, I'm, I'm perfect. And he's constantly pleading with God the Father to say, look at me in my perfection. He is the great high priest. There's no need. We would, if, we, if I put Aaron, scripture from Hebrews, it says, if the, Aaron, the priesthood of Aaron would have been sufficient, there would be no need for another high priest. But there is, and his name is Jesus. Right? It's the same thing that we're seeing Paul say here. Jesus perfectly fulfills the law and come as the great, comes as the great high priest in our place to intercede on our behalf. That's how we see Jesus in the text. Let's look at a bit of application and then we'll We'll land this plane. Here's my application for you. Jesus is the ultimate high priest. He wants to prepare a path that leads you to his sufficiency. If you could throw that up. Thank you. And here's how I believe that that he's preparing us for that. One, I think we need to confess freely. And so what I mean by that is is to recognize that we have this intercessor. We have this God who loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. And so we need to come and confess freely, knowing that we've been invited into grace and we've been invited into honesty, that we can share everything with this priest, this new high priest. 
in Jesus. That means that we don't have to come, we don't have to hide our mistakes, but we can freely come and confess our mistakes to this great high priest. And we don't have to hide in our weaknesses, but we can rest in the strength of Christ. We can rest in his strength instead of continuing to just beat ourselves up about beat ourselves up about our own insufficiency, our own sin, our own weakness. We rest in his strength. The world constantly tells you to work. And Jesus continues to invite you to rest, rest in his strength. And in that, we, need, we get to celebrate. And so as we continue to confess, we're continually, continually reminding ourselves of our need for God's sufficiency in our life. And as we're reminded of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, we need to celebrate. We need to openly celebrate. That doesn't mean you have to go out in the park and be a park bench preacher, but you need to just openly celebrate and remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. Celebrate the finished work of Christ. Celebrate that you have this interceder for you. And so whenever you fall short or sin or make a bad decision, right, when you forget to pack your blanket and pillows, you can rest assured that you have an interceder for you, that you don't find your identity and your ability to be able to pack well, but you find your identity in who Jesus calls you to be. And that's perfect and holy. You need to celebrate that regularly, openly, with everyone. This leads us to the next point of share it. We have to share this with people, period. There's no way around it. People need to know there's hope in the gospel. They need to know that they have a great intercessor, a high priest. His name is Jesus, and he's constantly interceding on their behalf, and they don't have to worry about their own shortcomings and sin and failures and bad decisions. People need to hear the gospel. We live in a community where 80% of people actively proclaim to not follow Jesus in the Metro East. There's 736,000 people that live in the Metro East. 500,000, a half a million of them, claim to not know who Jesus is. They don't know that they have an intercessor. They don't know that they have hope that comes from the gospel. 500,000, four out of five people you interact with on a daily basis don't know the, they don't know the gospel. They've probably heard Jesus. They may have even been raised in church but they don't know the gospel. We have to share this. In our community groups, we have to constantly share and remind one another to confess and celebrate, but we have to get out of our community groups and be missional. We have to take this to neighbors and into the community and into the organizations and businesses and onto the campuses. There's 14,000 students at campus. If roughly 80% of them don't know the gospel, there's a need to share this with students the future generation of Christianity. They need to know this. We have to constantly share this. God calls us to be, we are, this is awesome, humble, humbling calling. We are the new holy nation and the new royal priesthood is what we're told by Paul also. Like we are the holy nation. We are the chosen to take the gospel to the ends of the world. And we are a holy priesthood, meaning that we are the new mediators. We are the new intercessors on behalf of God to the people. What a humbling calling to know that he's relying on us. There's no plan B, right? He's called us in the Great Commission to take the good news of him and his name to the ends of the earth as his priests, as his intercessors, as his mouth to the people. What a humbling calling. Do you just feel like I just feel like the insufficiency. I feel so insufficient to do that, that all I have is to rely on God's strength and sufficiency when I think of that. That's where it's leading us to. All right, I'm going to pray, and then I just want to put a few questions up, and we'll spend some time in reflection um, with one another. So let's pray, and we'll do that. God, we pray and thank you so much for 
God, just for calling us to, God, to be your priests and to be your mediators and to take your message of, of your son to the ends of the earth. Lord, we are so undeserving to share that. Um, and yet you call us, you rely on us, you chose us to do that. And it's a humbling calling. God, we praise, give you praise and thanks for sending us your son, Jesus, to, to be our intercessor, God, that we constantly remind us it's not about our performance and our work, but it, it's about knowing the truth that we have a God that, that loves us as we are a God, but loves us too much to leave us as we are. And you want to change us, not necessarily our weaknesses and our strengths, God, but you want to change us into the image of your Son. Um, we love you and we praise you. We pray all this through the gift and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.